This is Off the Red Carpet with George Pinocchio, sponsored by Mercedes-Benz. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Off the Red Carpet. I'm George Pinocchio, and I'm here right now with a guy who has been in show business for 52 years, by my calculation. Am I right? I can't believe it. 52 years. It's true. 1967, I started, George. And you were in an episode of My Three Sons, and we're talking with, you may recognize the voice, Ed Begley Jr., I look at your resume and I am stunned at the amount of work you have done. You did the FBI, Mannix, Nanny and the Professor, Adam 12, The Doris Day Show, Beretta, Medical Center. And I'm trying to figure out, as I'm looking through this entire resume, what do you consider your big break? We're saying elsewhere. That I, was 15 years in. I know. I'd been an actor for a decade and a half and was a wonderful day player kind of an actor, occasionally getting a nicer role, but never really breaking out. But I got that lucky break. I did not get the part I wanted. I wanted the part of a regular character, a contract player uh, of Peter White. And I did not get that part. They threw me a bone, gave me this recurring, possibly recurring character of Ehrlich, and it proved to be one of the main characters in the show. Wow. And that lasted a long time. Six wonderful years, 82 through 88. And it also had one of those endings that people still talk about. Yeah, it all took place in the mind of an autistic child in a snow globe. And that was when no one was talking about autism. And no. now it's so much a part of our daily conversations. Right. It was a big, bold thing in 1982 through 88, and they dealt with that very well. But the ending was kind of a puzzler. I'm not sure it was a real crowd pleaser, George. <laughs> what about the idea of medical shows being popular since TV was in its infancy? We saw Dr. Kildare. Correct. And Ben Casey. Ben Casey and Marcus Welby. And you Correct. were on an episode of Medical Center. So I was. And Marcus Welby, too. Why do we love medicine so much? much on TV. It's the way it's the same reason we love cop shows. There's so much at stake. It's life and death stuff. And then you see people have these wonderful human lives and real lives kind of like ours, but then they're, you know, saving people and cops are saving people and doctors are saving people. So there'll always be cop shows and medical shows, I believe. There are a lot of people who might be listening to this right now who want to be actors. And I look at your resume and I see what's listed anyway as 324 different gigs over the course of these 52 years. So you have a really good batting average in this town, don't you? I'm very lucky. I won the lotto. That's for damn sure. You know, my dad was an actor and I wanted to do what my dad did. But, George, I hadn't a clue what was involved. I was literally resentful, silently, thank God, resentful of my dad, why he didn't just get me a gun smoker or a wagon train or something. Like he could pick up the phone and do that, first of all. And like, more importantly, I deserved it, which I did not because I had no training. Imagine the son of a plumbing saying, the son of a plumber saying, I want to do some plumbing. I'll ride in the truck today. You have to learn how the pipes fit together. You know, is it copper pipe or steel galvanized pipe? There's a lot to it. And I had no training whatsoever. I just had that wake me when I'm famous attitude when I was quite young. Were you getting roles that were kind of like the good looking teenage kid with the blonde hair and blue eyes? No, I was always the nerdy guy. I had thick glasses at the time and they're a little less thick today because of the improvement improvement in lens quality but i had thick glasses so i always got the nerd and uh, uh computer wore tennis shoes and now you see him now you don't and all those disney movies i was a nerd in uh kurt russell's pack of you know <laughs> misfits in some of those movies who are some people from your past that are still part of your present your now well, I wish Bruno Kirby still was. He was my best friend, and we lost him years ago. But I'm still quite friendly with uh, 
uh, with Jeff Goldblum and Michael Richards and with lots of people that I've known since college and around that same time. I have friends for many years. Jerry Burns and I have been friends for many years. Buck Henry and I are friends for many years and uh, very fortunate to have a lot of friends that I still see. Isn't that nice that those people still exist and you were all once upon a time something else trying to um, make it in this town, I'm guessing. So did you get excited? Were there reasons to celebrate when, say, maybe you were before Jeff Goldblum and Jeff Goldblum got something great? Did you gather? We did. We'd always gather and celebrate the other successes, and I've had a lot more celebrating for Jeff than he has for me, but he's always <laughs> been great. When I would, I got She-Devil with Meryl Streep, who's very kind and celebratory with me when, when that happened, and you know, we support each other. Jerry Burns is a good friend of mine, too, and he gets this part, and I get that, and we always celebrate. Bruce Davidson and I are often up for a lot of the same roles, and always he's always so kind when I get one, and I try to return the favor when he gets one. Is that weird when you go up against a good friend and you both want the same thing? Yeah, but it's uh, it's kind of all in the family. When Michael McKean gets a part, or I do, he's always quite nice about it, too. I'm thinking of all these friends that I have this relationship with. And I have friends like James Jeremiah, who's a writer who wrote the original script for Lost Boys. And we see each other like twice a week we have lunch, and we're like great friends. And I'm not competing with him as a writer, so there's great cause to celebrate. Have you ever blown an audition because you wanted a friend of yours to get the role? I never went that far, but I, I blew it on, under my own steam, with my own left to my own devices. I blew it for reasons all my own. All right, so we mentioned that you have 52 years in the business, so I think it's safe to say that you've recently celebrated a big birthday. But I look at you, and I don't put a number on your face. I just feel like you've been part of my television life for as long as I've been watching television. Your whole life, because I started in 1967. I'm not sure you were born in 1967, George. So, we'll keep that a secret. Okay, but I'm 70 years old, and I've been doing it for the, low these many years, and I'm so grateful. It was exciting when I got my first job because I had been auditioning and never got a thing because, as I said a minute ago, I had no training. When I started to train, that's when I got work. But I had a paper route at that time. That was my paying job was a paper route. So, George, I left my makeup on and went out and did my paper <laughs> route, hopefully, you know, hoping that somebody would recognize me and look at the makeup and go, wait a minute, is that makeup? Are you an actor? Here, sign this. I literally <laughs> did my paper route out in, in uh, makeup hoping to be recognized. It was pathetic. Wow. But that you've continued to work. And in this town, reputations matter, Ed. And there are some people who producers don't want to hire because they're trouble. And I can look at your 324 credits and realize you're not trouble. What is it about you that people want Ed Begley on their sets. You've hit upon something important to me because I have many friends who are actors and most of them are way more talented than, than me. But uh, like all of them, thankfully, too, I show up on time and I try to make everybody's job e easier. Every sound man, every grip, every electrician, every follow focus guy. It doesn't cost me anything to make their job easier and to know my lines and to be professional. So that's what I do. I get there early, as I did today. I'm sorry I got here so early. You know, you were kind That's of great. I mean, it was fun to talk. But I get I get to places early, and I do the crossword, and I'm always on time, and always know my lines, and so that counts for something. And people want to have you back. You've also seen television change over the course of your time in it. So as I was looking later on in your resume, I see Seventh Heaven, Jack and Bobby, Six Feet Under. You did some Veronica Mars. Really, too many things to mention, but. Television was once black and white and sweet and innocent, and then it kind of changed and got socially relevant, and now it it kind of almost um, tests all the boundaries, doesn't it? 
when I was in room 222 in the late 60s and early 70s, that was kind of a bold show. James L. Brooks was the head writer on that show, I believe. And the and beautiful was, Karen Valentine. Karen Valentine, Nicholas. Lloyd Haynes, and Denise Nichols. What a great cast. You've got a great memory for shows you weren't even born to see, but bless you, George. But And it's technically changed, too. It used to be so hot in the set because you needed 400 foot candles to get an F4 to get a proper exposure on a lens. You needed 400 foot candles. For those out there that don't know what that is, that's a tremendous amount of light and heat because the lights were not LEDs or anything. They were big, hot lights and arc lights and what have you. And the equipment was elephantine, these huge cameras and huge a sound cart was this tall and this wide just to record sound before the Nagra tape recorder came into popularity. So everything was big and complicated and then it got smaller and better and film stock got faster and everything changed technically and in, in many ways during your time on saint elsewhere it was one of those <coughs> moments in television where people now look back and say it was the glory days as times have changed and and the pie has been cut up in so many more pieces right do you remember those days on saint El elsewhere where it was kind of tv superstardom because that show was so incredibly successful. It was, George. We were kind of uh, thought of as something of a mediocre rating show, getting a 13 share or 14 <laughs> share. We never got a 30 share or 25 or something like that. So we that was our average was in the uh, low to middle teens. And so that was, you know, nothing at the time. And now it's, there were only three networks. Fox hadn't really had any success when we were still doing St. Elsewhere. Garth Anseer was trying to start the Fox network and it hadn't really taken off yet. So there was really three networks. If you're on one of those networks on the show, you were a big deal and that's just the way it was. And that changed and now we have what we have now, you're getting a, uh, you know, a, a one share, you're happy. So you're right. There are some there are some shows that struggle to stay on the air uh, or last, the, the orders are, are fewer. Not every show gets 22 episodes anymore, right? That's true. Or sitcoms or, or, or dramas. But I think that's kind of fun sometimes because you look forward to seeing it come back, and I enjoy that anyway. Sometimes. And look at the quality of the shows nowadays. Nothing against the wonderful golden age of television with Pat Achievsky and all those wonderful, Sidney Lumet, those wonderful talented people. My dad, that's the golden age of television, the craft, playhouse, and all that. Yeah. But now I really believe, George, we're in the platinum age of television with Breaking Bad and, you know, uh, Handmaid's Tale and these wonderful shows. It's just amazing what's going on today in television. And I'm just glad and proud to be on, you know, a lot of the shows that are really high, high quality. I think also many more actors get the opportunity to work. They may not be making those paychecks That's that true. were happening in the 80s, but they are getting to practice their craft. And if you're a true artist, I think that's what you really want to do. That's what you want. And there's so many more avenues for you to work. There's, you know, Hulu and Netflix and, you know, there's just endless Amazon. There's so many different streaming services and otherwise and broadcast still has a fair amount of viewers. So I'm glad for that because I'm on an ABC show now. And that show is Bless This Mess and you play Rudy. And this is a show that when I initially saw it, there were shades of green acres in my head. Right. And I think they probably wanted that to be in our head. Right. But it has since gone in various directions and having a lot of fun. And I don't know where you and Pam Greer are going to land by the time this season is over. Me but I'm either. very curious to know. I love her. I love her so much. I've been in love with her from a distance for many decades, and I get to be in love with her up close and personal. It's such a treat. She's a wonderful actress, wonderful lady. And for Liz Merriweather and Lake Bell to give me this opportunity to play this part, I'm just forever grateful. And Doc Shepard is a dear friend. I love him. You know, David Koechner, Lennon Parham. Look at the cast that we have. It's just extraordinary. But there's a, a nice innocence to this man who is of a certain age, and I think that that is 
really sweet to watch play out. That's what I love about the show. It has so much heart. It's really a love letter to the people in the heartland of the country, and that means a lot to me. It's a very, it's a very unifying message to the show, I think, and I think we need that now. So let's rewind a little bit. People are listening to this podcast and say, I haven't seen Bless This Mess yet. What am I missing? What are they missing? It's a wonderful show that's a half-hour comedy but with a lot of heart and I think occasional good messages from the show. And it's on Tuesday nights after the Connors on ABC. It's a fine, fine show. If you love The New Girl, and I sure did, uh, you'll love this show. And uh, I'm going to do it for the next seven years, I'm hoping. <laughs> I like that That it. Um, we never know when we're going to see your character. They might hear a noise downstairs and walk down, and there you are in the kitchen sink. Right, <laughs> washing something unmentionable. It's crazy, but it's kind of it's kind of sweet because it's also um, kind of reminiscent about a safer time when, like, they're not worried that it's necessarily going to be a burglar that's out to do them damage. It's just a neighbor who needs a little helping hand. That's right, and I've been living in their barn since the pilot episode. We're not clear how I got there, or how if the promise really came from the, his great aunt that I was allowed to live there what happened to my farm is what i'm dying to find out when you look at what well, i wonder what happened to your farm you just gave yourself a whole storyline i know very smart thinking mr begley exactly plant that seed for the writers to hear <laughs> what about uh is there anything this season that you know is going to happen that we should kind of look out for even if you can only tell us in a teasy kind of way well we're going to up the ante with the romance with the constance and rudy that's a given and there's going to be lots of surprises with Mike and Rio where they head with this. And, and uh, David Kechner and Lennon Parham have some uh, issues with their marriage. You'll see more about that. There's lots of fun surprises coming this season. Nice. You are, as we mentioned, 70, and I'm glad you're okay with me saying that. Absolutely. Is the 70-year-old Ed Begley as an actor just as enthusiastic as the 18-year-old was? I am. I'm very enthusiastic and have been since the beginning. I got lucky in 1967 and somehow they're still hiring me so I I walk on the set with a lot of uh, energy and pep as much as I can possess at this age and uh, I have a great time every day is there one episode of one show or one role in one movie that you just wish people would revisit one of my favorite movies ever was of course best in show one of those great Chris Guest movies when I played the um hotel uh, manager there. I love that movie. That's one worth seeing again. And I've been in The In-Laws with Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. That's another fine movie. But I'm very proud of St. Elsewhere, those wonderful six years, and equally proud of Bless This Mess. This is my best uh, job, TV job I've had since St. Elsewhere, and that ended in 1988, George. Wow. That's 31 years ago. Yeah. Wow. But you, recently you were at the Movies in Book Club, which I thought was a great movie. I love a Book Club. A lot of fun and some really cool actresses to work with so great to work with those wonderful ladies to be the husband of candace bergen i've worked with on boston legal and be there with jane and uh mary steenburgen and just there was fantastic diane keaton i adore what a great and what about uh andy garcia in that movie wasn't andy garcia wonderful in that andy movie it was great was always so good i'm sitting here playing six degrees of ed begley and i'm thinking no one gets to six it's probably by the time you hit three <laughs> there's some connection to you with your long history yeah I know that you live in my neighborhood, and I've been to my local farmer's market, and I've seen you out there sometimes. Are you still a regular going over there? I got to just... I used to be there every Sunday, George, and I stopped, uh, believe it or not, in 2007, I believe. I just got so busy I couldn't do it anymore, but I still sell those non-toxic cleaning products, and they're, 
you know, you can get them online and elsewhere. It's called Begley's Best, and it's a fine line of non-toxic stuff. You still go to the farmer's market just to shop. Sometimes. I go to shop, absolutely. When you don't have enough in your yard to feed yourself. Exactly. I've got six wonderful raised beds. I had some lettuce this morning already and uh, have wonderful organic vegetables available year-round because it's Southern California. So I've got fruit trees, which are watered by gray water, and I've got a 10,000-gallon rainwater tank to water the rest. So I'm very lucky to have a nice green home. When did the environment become such a focus for you? It started in 1970 with the first Earth Day, because at that point I'd lived two decades, 20 years in horrible, smoggy L.A. It was very smoggy back then. You're too young to know it, but believe me, it was bad. And so after two decades of that, we had this celebration of Earth called Earth Day. And I said, well, what are we going to do after Earth Day? It's a fine day to celebrate, but what do we do going forward? And people said, we're going to clean up the air and clean up the water. And I know, I knew we had... Our, our work cut out for us in both because the air was so dirty. And I knew the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland had caught fire. The rivers were so polluted at that time that one of them caught fire near Cleveland. So we had to clean up the air and the water. And now here it is, George. Many years later, we have four times the cars in L.A., millions more people, but we have a fraction of the smog. We did it. We proved that it can be done and the economy can thrive as it has in California, having a clean environment. So next year, you'll celebrate 50 years of environmentalism. How? Anything special? I'm going to talk about technology that works and urge people to do it as exactly in exactly the same way I did, which is to pick the low-hanging fruit first, do the cheap and easy stuff. Because when I started, I didn't have a TV series or anything, George. I wanted solar panels, but I couldn't afford them. So I did cheap and easy stuff. And nowadays, you can get energy-saving light bulbs, energy-saving thermostat, ride a bike if weather and fitness permit, take public transportation, you know, put some weather stripping around your doors and windows. There's lots of stuff that you can do that's cheap and easy. You'll save money and you'll protect the environment. You are so grounded, down to earth, and normal. Did you ever have a time in your life where things were just being handed to you so much left and right with your success and fame that a little ego tried to sneak in? I don't think I ever let the ego problem take over or get too grand at all. I, I don't remember having any trouble with that, but I had a lot of trouble 71 through 78 because I was, those were my wild years and I would go to bars and, you know, it was the 70s. You can imagine what people were doing when they're in their 20s and the 70s and I did it all. And, but fortunately I wised up back in 1978 and I went in the straight and narrow. So uh, I've been, I've been clean and sober now for many years since the 70s and it's definitely the way to go. Will that be a, a chapter or two in a book you might write? What a good idea. I think I will write a book. Thank you, George. You heard it here. George Pinocchio said I should write a book, and now I'm going to. I think I would read it. I, I, I know I would read it. Great, yeah. I, I, I love Hollywood stories, but a lot of your stories are kind of outs, a little outside Hollywood, I guess, because you're not showing up um, to be seen on a red carpet necessarily unless it's probably a friend of yours that's in the project that's true and i grew up in van nuys not in beverly hills or hollywood so i kind of have a kind of a more of a, a middle class upper middle class upbringing with my dad he was a working actor but we were never really what i would call wealthy but we did fine and so i had a very normal childhood in van nuys and i'm grateful for that so here's a, a question out of left field did you live anywhere near rosemary we did not. But uh, I, I loved Rosemary. We lived near Andy Devine. He lived down on Kester. We lived at Valerio and Kester. He lived kind of down near, uh, I think, uh, Vic Oxnard and Kester. Andy Devine lived there, and that was a big deal to me. I think that people, when they hear actors speak, always wonder if it could happen to me. 
And I think what you're demonstrating in this interview is that you've just worked really hard and you've let people know that if they hire you, they get 100% of you, which right. is important. And I finally woke up and trained at some point in my young life. And after I trained, I got work. And that's the key thing. If you want to be an actor, do lots of theater, wherever it is, Cleveland or L.A. or New York or Chicago, do lots of theater, actors act. So you get out there and act and be part of a workshop group or something. Just get out there and do the work. Don't expect to come to Hollywood and have a success without doing the training. I'm so glad I hear you say that because I have friends who've said to me, you know, that they can't, they're trying to get work. They haven't gotten it yet. And I say, well, you should try to like do, there's a lot of 99 cent, 99 cent, 99 seat theaters in this town. You should try to get a job at one of them. It might not pay you much, but you'll get to practice your craft. And I've heard well, I'm really not a stage actor. I'm more of a TV and film actor. And I'm saying your resume is almost empty. You're, you're not a TV and film actor. You just want fame. And what you really want is to know what you're doing, right? Exactly. Actors act. you got to get out there and act and do it on stage. You know, Not everybody gets to be in a big movie or a big TV show. If you like to act, and I hope that's what's behind motivating these people that want to be actors, Get out there and do the work and do it on stage. It's a great training ground to do things and to learn your craft. If you weren't an actor, what would you be? I really think if my dad had been a plumber, I'd be fitting pipe now. I wanted to do what my dad did. And fortunately, he was a working and serious actor, a character actor that had been in 12 Angry Men, 12 Angry Men and won an Oscar for Sweet Bird of Youth, won a Tony for Broadway with uh, Inherit the Wind with Paul Muni. So he was a serious actor that really focused on doing the work and uh, you know, if I wasn't an actor, I'd probably be a carpenter because I had some skills as a carpenter. I made my dining room table and some chest of drawers and things. So I, I'm not Harrison Ford, don't get me wrong, <laughs> as an actor or a carpenter. But I, I, can, I can do some woodwork. Did your dad ever critique your work? I hadn't done much work while he was still alive, sadly. But he did see a play or two, and he found something positive to say about my early young work which was quite primitive and unskilled but he found something positive to say he was great in many ways and he also taught me for years without me knowing I was being taught I would run lines with him I'd cue him for his day's work on wagon train in one of those shows and so in so doing I was taking a lesson with my dad I didn't know how he was doing it but he was wow well, we're speaking with Ed Begley Jr., who is one of the stars of ABC's hit comedy, Bless This Mess. He's promising all sorts of new things happening this season, including a little bit more romance, perhaps, with Pam Greer. And before we leave, let's just talk about Pam Greer for a moment, because I grew up watching her in those black exploitation films. And I loved seeing that renaissance when she came back. Was it Jackie Brown? Jackie Brown with Quentin Tarantino and, and Bob Forrester. I love that people are seeing that she can make you laugh and that she can be Pam Greer actress and not necessarily uh, playing the roles that she was offered once upon a time. I like her arc as an actress. Right. That's the genius of Liz Merriweather and Lake Bell to give her that opportunity and to know that she could deliver. And she has every episode. She's so funny. She's so wonderful. She's so down to earth. So I was thrilled to do this part on its face, but when I heard they had cast Pam Greer in the part, I was doing back, backflips. Just I, I've had a ball every day. All right, so last question. And you can say the answer is Ed Begley Jr. Who is the funniest person on your set behind the scenes? No question, Lennon Parham. She is hysterically funny. A close second is David Koechner, the two of them. I've told the directors and producers, I said, you cannot put us in a three-shot if you want to get 
anything usable. You have to separate me out in a single <laughs> with them in a two shot. I can't keep a straight face. When they do the scripted dialogue, dialogue, I can make it through, George. But when they start to do this improv stuff that they're so brilliant at, the two of them, I just I can't I can't contain myself. Well, it's a, sky high. It's another reason to watch your show. So thank you for joining us for your enormous career in show business with all these credits and all these years and all this entertaining. I appreciate you stopping by here at Off the Red Carpet. And you can see Bless This Mess Tuesdays at 8.30 after the Connors. That's, That's correct. Pacific time, 7.30 Central. That's right. So, much. Ed, is there any social media that people could follow you on right now? Or are you like a regular Joe and staying off all that stuff? No, I do some of that. Uh, go to edbegley.com and my uh, email, my uh, Twitter is at, at edbegleyjr. So uh, drop me a tweet or drop me a line. Uh, go to edbegley.com and visit, and you'll see lots of green stuff that you can pick too. Okay, well, thank you for all of your knowledge in show business and in our lives. So thank you for joining us for another edition of Off the Red Carpet. I'll be back soon.